Hey folks, it's John from AS for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is one that is very inspiring to me. Is very I'm very excited about this one. So, who is Mishka Shabali? Um, Mishka Shabali is an artist. He's an author. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He is somebody who embodies the transformation from from active alcoholism to recovery. And he has his own way of doing it. He has his own style, his own brand, whatever you want to call it, man. He probably would just say, look, dude, I get up and I decide not to drink every single day. He's uh, He puts on a live show. He plays guitar um, and sings. His music is dark. It's depressing. It's grim. It's gritty. You know, if I was going to write a tagline for a music magazine, I might say, Tom Waits bumped into Charles Bukowski and knocked his beer over during happy hour, but I would never say anything like that. And honestly, it's just really, some of it's hauntingly beautiful. Some of it's absolutely hilarious. Some of it's really sad, but it's so poignant and um, authentic. And I know that word gets, gets thrown around a lot, but it really is. And it, 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 it expresses the, the darker side of, of drugs and, and drinking his writing, his memoir um, entitled I Swear I'll Make It Up to You was an absolute phenomenal read from beginning to end. And if you've never thought about sobriety, you'll love this book. If you've ever thought about sobriety, you'll love this book. He also has a series of Kindle singles that are out that, again, you can get those on Audible as well. But go find him, read this guy's stuff, and listen to his music. And it was just really great and such an exciting thing for me, you know, especially as somebody who is still new at this and still trying to get in shape to talk to somebody who goes from, as he puts it, going from an ultra drinker to an ultra runner. Uh, it was just really great to be able to sit down with him and talk with him for 45 minutes or whatever in the hotel room after the show. So without further ado... I'm very excited. Please enjoy. This is my conversation with Mishka Shubali. I just wanted to say thanks for thanks for the show last night. Um, as somebody who's just recently found you, uh-huh. I'm a big fan, and um, I, my first uh, my first uh, introduction to you was on the Ritual podcast in 2017. Uh huh. And I immediately was, um, I just enthralled and excited and I was like, oh wow, here's somebody who's, who's done sobriety completely different and it works for them, you know, because my way was, you know, I went through the 12 step program. I mean, Uh that was just the way that I found it. And so that's the way that I was taught and all that stuff. And, um, when I went into it, I was very trepidatious. I was very suspicious and I was very, um, I felt like I was a detective trying to figure these things out and how does this work exactly and this and and then so I think you know a lot of people and I don't want to discourage or, or or anything anybody from getting sober any which way they do either mm-hmm. my way is not it's the, it was the best way for me it was the only way for me but to hear how somebody else had done it and had done it completely different was really um, eye opening to me um, well, th- thank you for that because I've met a lot of people who have come through 12-step programs who aren't as uh, 
as supportive of uh, the path I've taken, the decisions that I've made, you know, how I live these days. Um, and I'm glad that you got to see a show last night too, because the the work that I do in my writing, and then obviously, you know, podcasts with Rich or people like that, um, I focus on the talking about self-care, talking about about healing, about getting better, about trying to improve, about trying to survive, trying to make your way in the world. And then the live show is sort of the, the dark half of that. And it's, and that's where I express my, my frustration, my sadness, my anger, resentment about the, you know, my failures in the past and sort of present failures. And, um, it's all me. So it's, um, I don't think that there's one version that's more authentic than the other, um, but they diverge pretty quickly and pretty yes. wildly. Yes, you know? they do. I was doing the math, and I thought I thought I was being clever, uh, and then you announced it that you're coming on ten years sober coming up here, right? You yeah. said that last night. Yeah. How does that feel? I mean, it feels totally bizarre. Um, the uh, you, you know because at once my you know, your sobriety always sort of feels kind of fresh or like a, a new skin or, you know, um, and also it's been so long, like it, um, it, it feels like it's been forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I am pretty well seated in it. Yeah. You don't, you, know? you don't find, um, well, I guess one of the things too, is that you, you navigate bars and clubs and just the music scene in general, which is fraught with, alcohol and drugs constantly and maybe you're not always in a place where you're surrounded by friends and family like last night um do you do you find it difficult sometimes do you uh is it how do you navigate those those situations the um i mean well you could see last night too like you know with my fans that uh those people are not in recovery they may be headed towards rec- the, to recovery the kid, the kid who was sitting next to me um he was yelling at your name drinking jameson and corona and so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the um yeah, those kids were pretty shit faced by the end of the night. Mm-hmm. In uh in the UK they call fans like that punishers because <laughs> cuz they'll corner you and they'll be like thanks for the show, such a great show and you're like thank you, you know, you know absolutely, you're welcome. Thanks for coming out and then they keep going and then they grab onto your hand and they're like, I need to tell you about the you know, last thing my father said to me before he died. And you're like, man, I'm just trying to sell a t-shirt, you know? <laughs> yes. The, yes. Um, but yeah, the, I definitely, um, I, I struggle um, and I have a hard time on the road, but rarely uh, with, uh, with alcohol or temptation. Mostly it's just dealing, just the fact of like dealing with, um, uh, with drunk fans, with a drunk promoter, with, you know, with drunk bartenders or whatever. I, I just sort of like got that mental clarity in my head that like, I don't drink that, you know, no matter what happens, I don't drink, Yeah. you know, and that was one of the things that, and you know, there are things that can be said in praise of this, but in AA, the, um, they, you know, there's this thing of like, you know, I, I, I will try not to drink today. And mm-hmm. for me, that, there's, I can hear a loophole in there that like, oh, I can try and fail, you right. know? And I think they're, they phrased it that way so that if you fail, you can come back. You can always try again. Right. And for me, it was just like, no, I'm done. I'm fucking done. Nothing, nothing will make me drink today. 
you yeah. know, and then just putting enough days like that behind me, um, then now it, it, it's just, it's off the, well, and you've, you've it's off the table. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think we all feel this way in some way or another that I have done all the drinking that I could ever want to do or need to do. I have been to every, every dark place, every drunk and high place that I could ever imagine to be or would ever want to imagine to be, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I just, I can't imagine that the, you know, like my, my buddy, my friend, my co-host, he's a, he's a tattoo artist by trade. He's an artist, but he, um, he, I remember when I was first getting sober and he had a year on me and he said, John, I want you to take that very last bender and everything that happened and I want you to tattoo that on your brain and I want you to really remember that because when it comes time and you feel like it's okay to have a drink, I want you to remember the consequences of those actions. Yeah. And yeah. I have I have taken that. Um, I mean, I've, that's what I do every day. That if there's a moment where I'm feeling sad or bummed out or angry or, you know, my girlfriend asked me the other day, how do you feel? And I said, well, honestly, I feel like having a drink. But I'm going to figure out what that means and yeah. try to address that's those a, that, issues. Yeah, it's a, a complex emotion. Um, you know, that's where a lot of things factor into that. The, um, I listen, man, there's, there's definitely times, you know, I'll, there's still definitely times where I'm like, you know, man, uh, I would love to have a drink right now or like, you know, just, um, and I, I like the, and it's not even like a good drink that I crave. It's like a mediocre one of like, um, you know, a Coors Light or mm-hmm. like, um, a, uh, vodka cranberry from the bar where it's like just well vodka and the cranberry that's just citric acid sugar and red like yeah red Uh coloring the uh but you know i i i was blessed with a a number of great and terrifying hangovers where you're just like oh my god am i gonna like what am i gonna throw up next like i i I never ate any of this stuff that's coming up you know it's like yeah the um and uh and and also you know getting uh getting older being on the road not sleeping well not eating well you know it's like you wake up and you're like man oh i feel like such fucking dog shit you know i wish i could just have a drink and it's like no keep going with that thought because if you had a drink then you would have 90 drinks and you would feel million times worse right now like as bad as you feel right now like you would just feel worse this is the best that you can feel Uh you know so i try to go the other direction of like all right i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna sleep more i'm gonna eat better i'm gonna do my stretches you know i'm gonna try to exercise drink more water all that stuff yeah yeah um one thing you did this you put this post up somebody um on facebook and or instagram last month and somebody, this was this was amazing to me. It said, "Oh, you're just trading in one addiction for another." You're talking, and you, he was or she was, I don't remember, referring to the fact that you were touring again, and maybe you had, you were lamenting the tour or something that you were you were going to start. And you said that um, <clears throat> you said that. I'm giving, so glad that you you're, you remember this and that we're talking about this. So, yeah. Giving addiction primacy it doesn't deserve. Trading one addiction for another, and you said it to common trope in in recovery yeah yeah the i mean the so there's a lot there the i mean i i gotta say that the the woman who made that comment is um 
Absolutely somebody I love and trust. You know, she works in uh, in Vancouver doing harm reduction, providing uh, clean needles to heroin addicts. And the life that she lives and the work that she does is, in, you know, it's incredibly important. And she's a far braver person than I am. So that like, so I, I do, I've, I, it's like I value an attack like that mm-hmm. or a critique like that. She, it's coming, because I know it's coming from a place of love. And... Um, the uh, I think she makes a great point. You know, I mean, alcoholics. You know, we it, in the course of alcoholism addiction, we do rewire our brains. You know, we force them to um, to seek sort of like the worst kinds of rewards, and um, and this you know the transference of you know uh, exhibiting addictive behavior with a substance that's not your substance of choice pretty well documented you know i mean it's like i'm sure we've both done that the i remember getting compliments uh like on the trains you know on the train platform in new york from old friends who would bump into me um they're like man you look so good like you know what are you you know what are you doing differently and it's well i'd switched from drinking to using like pharmaceutical heroin (laughs) and like yeah my face looked better but like inside you know nothing yeah the um so i you know I think there's some credence to what she was saying, you know, that uh, tours, you know, in the same way that alcohol was is something that I was like obsessed with and then it made me very happy and very unhappy, you know, tours like that too. But also, um, I've wa- I wanted to be a musician and I wanted to be tra- a traveling musician since I was like five or six, you know, I mean, this is a, the fulfillment of a lifetime um a lifetime dream and an incredible amount of hard work. You know, I mean, it, it's, I've done so many, you know, you know, this hotel room is pretty nice, you mm-hmm. know, and like I have stayed in hotel rooms with bullet holes in the curtains and like, um, and that was a step up from like sleeping in my car, you know, yeah. so I've, I've worked at this for a long time. But the, at the, at the, the core of this issue, you know, the, I feel like she's conflating um, issues with addiction with uh, the human condition, you know, and that's one of the things that I I get in trouble with that. Lots of other people get in trouble with that too. Of you know to say like um, to just get into a rut and be like, oh my life sucks. You know why am I even doing this? It's pointless. Like I should just be drinking. You know, and it's like well, that's because it's tax day. It's a nightmare for all of us, regardless yeah. of what kind of human you are. Doing your taxes sucks. Parking tickets suck. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff in life that that just sucks for everybody, and it doesn't matter if you're an addict or not. That's just life, you know. And so, don't conflate those um, human issues with addict issues, mm-hmm. because because everybody feels that way. And everybody has bad days and everybody exactly. wants to escape and get away from... Exactly. You know, I mean, I've had people, um, you know, when when we get angry, there's always the friend who's like, whoa, you know, you're being a dry drunk right now. It's like, no, that motherfucker hit my car. Like, I, I have a good reason to be angry, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can get angry and have it be totally justified, you know? Sure. And um, so, I don't know, I... I'm a, I do get a little defensive when other people jump to criticize and attack alcoholics and addicts of saying like, oh, you're just trading one addiction for another or like, 
oh, you're a dry drunk or, you know, that our behavior is continually uh, criticized and pathologized in terms of our addiction. Look at it this way, man. We've recognized that we had problems in our lives and we fought to improve them. Um, we fought really hard and we've gone public with the information that that we found shortcomings in ourselves and that we're going to do the hard, often humiliating public work of trying to get better. I know a ton of people who aren't alcoholics or addicts who need to do that same shit. <laughs> people who are just poisoned with rage and bitterness, um, you know, anxiety, you know, unable to forgive people. And um, it's like, you know, give us a little bit of fucking credit, right. man. This yeah. is not fun. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's hard work. You, you know? know, I think the thing that really kind of swung the door open for me was when I was sitting with my sponsor and he had the big book there and he said, John, think of this as like life, the missing manual. And I realized that I had never been taught any of this stuff. I had yeah. never been exposed to how to live life, how to treat people, how to treat myself. And it just, it was like, oh, okay. So if I don't look at this as some sort of um, suspicious, crazy cult, like what if I'm doing this for myself? And these are, a, this is a book of tools. This is a, a set of tools that I can use in my everyday life. And, you know, in reading your book and your stories, I see correlations between the things, but again, these these seem to me between AA and and what you do as far as you know saying I'm sorry and you know you talk about deepening the the relationships you have and removing the hollow ones and and all of that kind of stuff. And so again, I think it just goes back to this human condition of taking care of yourself and the people around you and and living a good life. Yeah, yeah. The um, I I remember when I got you know when I first got sober and I was like hammering out these, you know, tr tremendously long runs and like lots of distance, you know, I was at a bar after a show with one of my bands and this guy, you know, was like, um, you know, you've, you've just, you know, traded one addiction for another and like, you know, you're destroying your knees and all this stuff. And I looked at him and he was probably 60 pounds overweight, had a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And it's like totally socially acceptable for him to criticize my behavior, but if I tell him, like, you're probably pre-diabetic, headed towards diabetes. Emphysema. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, the, then suddenly I'm the asshole. Um, but the, um, yeah, the, even if AA were a cult, there would still be things to learn. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing, is that um, uh, every religion, any religion, I mean, it's, you know, basically religions are sort of an, an accumulation of wealth or, or a, mm -hmm. accumulation of the the mental wealth that we've acquired. I've, I've learned you should do this, you shouldn't do that, those kinds of things, you know, and most of that sort of organized intelligence, there's always something good um, to pull out of it. For me, um, I'm pretty hard-headed and I think about it as like a math... Um, you know, a math book, you can crack open a math book and learn the different equations for here's how you map a circle or, or here's how you map a sphere. But if you don't have that book and you just sit at the blackboard trying different equations, if you figure that out on your own, if you can write that equation, map that equation on your own, it'll mean more to you because mm -hmm. it came from inside 
yeah. instead of from an outside source. It might be faster, it might be easier to just to use the book. Um, and, you know, in my instance, sometimes I think I really should have gone to AA just to... Um, to submit, you know, to be like, fuck it, I'm beat, you know, because I, I, even when I had my moment of surrender, it wasn't an unconditional surrender, you know, it was like, okay, I got to find a way out of this one, you mm -hmm. know, um, I do think that window is closed. I don't think I could go to AA now. No, and, um, and I, I don't think that it's for everyone. For yeah. a very long time, I didn't think it was for me. So, you mm -hmm. know, like, I completely understand reservations and people doing their own thing. And I think that sobriety is just as different as there are as many people out there. However yeah. you want to do it. And if it works for you, far be it for me to tell you you have to do it differently or you're not doing it right. You know, that doesn't seem helpful nor kind. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things I've found is that we're, we're so good at telling other people what they should do with their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and, but we're so either we're so reluctant to tell ourselves what we should do with our lives or to follow the, the, those prescriptives. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I should get up at six or seven every day. I should, you know, drink hot water with lemon, you know, to exercise. I don't do that every day. Mm -hmm. I, I know what the right thing is. I know what the best thing is, but it's so hard to, to do it. Right. Um, I do want to ask you in specific, and this is, um, I, too, well, some of the things that I think why you resonate with me so much is I find myself at, I'm 42, I have issues with my father, I was a door guy at a, at a music venue in Seattle, wow. um, I had a very strange um, relationship with a cat that didn't end well, <laughs> so I find all these things, getting sober, um, you know, I, I, uh, I started walking. I'm I'm running a little bit more now, uh -huh. and I think and I thank you for you know your writing about that and and all that. But walking's important too, <laughs> yes. man. A lot of a lot of the running I've done was walking. So <laughs> fair enough. But when, the biggest thing is that my father's passed, so uh -huh. I'm never going to get the opportunity to to understand him as a person, to get to learn more about him, and to ultimately forgive him. So I was wondering if maybe you could just talk about your the being able to do that with your father and how that's how that's helped. All right, this is kind of messed up, but okay. um, but go but come along with me on this. Um, one could make an argument that you're actually in a better position to move on than I am, because if your father's gone, forgiven or not on his end, he's forgiven, right? Because mm -hmm. he can't feel any resentment, anger, any of the stuff that you're feeling towards him. So if, 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 you, if you hold a grudge against him, it's clear now that it's not doing anything to hurt him and it's only hurting you. There's a great, um, uh, a great saying, uh, which is, dig two graves. When, when you go to seek revenge against another person, dig two graves, one for them and one for you. Because trying to get revenge uh, will destroy you probably before 
it destroys another person. Yeah. Um, so if I were a licensed psychotherapist, I would say that you have to you know, find a way that um, you should not worry about forgiving him because it's, that's all, all sort of already a done deal and instead forgive yourself for being reluctant to forgive him. Yeah, and you make, you make a good point about he's not there to feel the resentment or the yeah. anger. So you're just hurting that. yourself. It's not going anywhere. It stays inside my head, right? Yeah, exactly. Huh. I like that. The um, I'll send you my invoice at the end of the, <laughs> the, end of the podcast. <laughs> the, um, yeah. With, um, my, with my dad, I have to exercise that act of forgiving him every day. You every, mentioned this. Every yeah. time that we interact. You know, he, um, he infuriates me regularly. <laughs> you know, particularly with, you know, with politics. You know, he, he sent me something, you know, that was... Fairly innocuous the other day of like, you know, um, you know, what is this phrase woke? You know, they were like using it in the Wall Street Journal and, you know, in regards to Bernie and AOC and, you know, I sort of broke it down for him and he was like, well, you know, that's not grammatically correct. And I was like, well, yeah, fucking welcome to earth. Like, I don't, you know, your first day in the world, dad, you know, come on. Um, and, um, you know, we know that we don't agree on politics, you know, so I, he, we've sort of, I sort of tried to just keep nudging him. Just, just keep your mouth. Sh- let's just talk about classic rock or, you know, whatever, you know, the, um, but, uh, because he's alive, I, I have to keep forgiving those little things of like, Oh, he didn't respond to my text or he texted me something that annoys me for whatever reason. Um, and it's tricky and you know, it's still, it takes a lot of work, you know, and, and also in every interaction with him, I have to, um, I have to say, what's, what's the goal? What's the goal? What's the goal? Like he and I can sit down and I can, you know, hammer him for Trump, you know, about Trump for four hours. I'll never change his mind. He's never going to change my mind. All I'm going to do is ruin Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that you, you have to walk a line between sort of like being a good, um, being a good sort of activist citizen and trying to change the world in the direction that you feel it, it should be changed. And also don't fucking ruin Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so when I interact with him, I remind myself my goal is not to be right, not to prove to him that I'm right or prove to him that I'm smart or smarter or better or stronger. My goal is to get along. Yeah. You know? What's the end result that I'm, that I'm seeking that I'm exactly. looking for? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I just love that idea of I have to, forgiveness is, is something that happens every single day. It's not something, you know, we don't graduate from this. We don't get a letter of certificates. There's no. And that's not an alcoholic thing. That's a human mm-hmm. thing. That's, you know, and that's, it's <clears throat> one of the things that I'm trying so hard to do right now in my life is sort out what's an alcoholic thing and what's just the human condition. You know, I, um, my friend Liz, who was busting my balls on Instagram, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have a group, a circle, a big circle of people like that around me who, um, who care about me and care about my, my health, my wellness, my sobriety. Um, you know, but I all, I'll often get nudged that like, oh, you're, you're sort of, you're constantly traveling. You're, you always have to be on tour. You always have to be going somewhere. You know, that's a sign of your, that you're a dry drunk, that you're, that, you know, you've, your new addiction is touring or traveling, you know, and, and this other thing of like, <clears throat> I can't, 
rest. I can't re relax. I can't just sit down and like do a thing, um, like sit and watch a movie without playing guitar while I'm watching a movie or playing on my phone or doing emails while I'm watching a movie. You know, it, it's, um, I've always got to be working, you know, and since I moved closer, I've been spending more time with my parents, you know, and I hung out with my dad over Christmas, went to go see him and he was like, uh, okay, you know, I'll wake you up breakfast at 7.30. After that, you know, then I need your help moving this. And then we're, my ukulele band is going to go and play for this, you know, group of developmentally disabled adults. That ends at, you know, 11.30. At 11.35, we'll be in the car. We're going to the, just one thing after the other, right? You know, and I was hanging out with my sister and um, I was like, I need to talk to you for a minute. She was like, awesome. Put on your running shoes. We'll go run while we're talking, you know, or, and then, I, you know, I had to call her and I was like, why, why are you grunting? She was like, well, I'm doing my leg exercises while I'm talking to you. Then I was hanging out with my mom. My mom was like, okay, I'm, I, I have a 10 day window here. I'm going to go to Vietnam for that window. And then as soon as I get back, I'm, I'm going to be here, work for another three weeks. And then I'm going to go, you know, to Nepal, you know, and my pro I'm, I don't have to do shit all the time and go places all the time because I'm a sober alcoholic. That's who I am. That's yeah. who my family is. Yeah. You know, my, you know, both my parents are sort of like hardworking farm kids. So it's always like, what's the next job? What's the next job? What, like, what's the next thing that we're doing? We do, you know, we do stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and my mom is, she's not a, you know, she's not a touring musician. She just likes going places. You she's know? got a blog. Is that what I yeah, saw? Yeah. Yeah. She's got a new <laughs> blog. It's awesome. It's, uh, a lone woman, that's which great. if you look at it, it says a lone, lone woman, woman, but that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, what have you found? Have you found that it's mostly in your experience, it's a human condition or I mean with elements of alcoholism? Well, the, it was a, th a thing where I was sort of like worried in the back of my head that, oh, I need to change this about myself, that this is an element of my recovery, my transition from alcoholic to human being. And then I looked at it and I was like, no, this is stuff that I arrive at genetically. Mm -hmm. It's, it has nothing to do with my, with my illness. It's just who I am, how I was raised. Um, you know, and my, my sister's the same way and she doesn't, she's not an alcoholic. She's never struggled with alcoholism. Um, so in that instance, I just have to be like, oh, that, no, that's, that's just who I am. Yeah. There's no cure for the human condition. Yeah. Um, you know, in reading your stories and, and the way that I read them is I listened to them on Audible, which was really, I love it when I can hear the, the author read the story because I find that oftentimes there's inflection and emotion that comes across, even if, I don't know what the uh, recording process is like there, but... I've heard a lot more through a story in the author's reading of it. Um, but there were a couple of times where I was out and so I would do them while I was on my walks or my runs or in the car. And, and um, there's one, I think it's near the end of the long run where you're talking about, am I too, am I a good man? And I started to cry a little bit because it was this, this sort of revelation as you look around at the evidence of what you have been doing as a sober human being um, versus all the shit that you still think you are in your head. And later in your, in your novel, I think you talk about um, the disparity between the drunk you are to the people around you and the drunk you are in your head. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you still, 10 years later, struggle with that. Again, is that a human thing of, of who I am inside? Yeah. Who I am the, on the um, outside? 
yes, I do still struggle with that. I still, um, you know, I still sort of like wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and I'm like, fuck you again. You know, it's just like that, you know, we always arrive um, at that sort of like worst assessment, lowest assessment of who we are as a human being. <clears throat> and also, that's ubiquitous. Everybody thinks they're a piece of shit. Everybody thinks they're a loner. Everybody thinks they're an outsider. Everybody thinks their family is weird. You know, and this is one of the things that I've, you know, experienced of like, you know, talking to people. Um, the, uh, I was in a band called Beat the Devil mm -hmm. and it was uh, fronted by a small first generation Indian immigrant woman. And we would, you know, tour through America through sort of like redneck backwaters. And, you know, all of the songs were about sort of like being an outsider, being a misfit, not fitting in. And, uh, and you know, these were her songs, you know, about her experience sort of growing up in white America. And we would see these like bros at our shows, you know, with the like backwards baseball hat and like, like singing along and like they knew every word. And I was like, Fuck, and I remember, I remember like partying with them after the shows, and being like, like, what about this music speaks to you, you know? And they're like, oh yeah, man, everybody in my family, they're all Red Sox fans, and like, I like the Cardinals, man. And I was like an outcast, I was like an outsider, man. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, are you? And so it made me realize that it's not just, um, it's not just alcoholics who think. You know, and also, I mean, I was talking to this writer who I, you know, do I really admire? And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, well, I'm a total piece of shit. And I'm like, are you really? Like, what, because you, like, killed a frog when you were a kid? You know, like, everybody did weird, stupid shit when they were kids. Or, like, we've all done stuff that we're not, you know, uh, we're not proud of. That That's just human. And you need to... Um, you said, oh, okay, I'm a piece of shit. Why am I a piece of shit? Well, because I did these three things. Okay, I need to look at these three things, compare them to like human experience and um, the human experience writ large, you know, didn't kill anybody, didn't rape anybody, didn't, you know, sexually assault anyone, you know, that like, you know, maybe I lied to my parents or I shoplifted or whatever, or I got fucked up all through the summer of seventh grade or whatever. It falls within the normal human umbrella of just shittiness just being human weakness that's what brings that's what you know unites us is our human weakness just fucking forgive yourself and move on man yeah it's, you know and it's it's one of those things too where when we when we keep excoriating ourselves for the little thing i pissed the bed when i was nine or whatever you you keep um yourself feeling bad about that for the rest of your life um it's not pissing the bed that's a bad thing. The bad thing is your inability to forgive yourself for pissing the bed because it affects who you are every day of your life. And if you feel like you're a piece of shit and then you abuse the person working behind the counter at Starbucks because of it, you take a very small, very forgivable thing and spin it into this person who's consumed with sort of bitterness and self-loathing and can't... Yeah you know, can't move on. Yeah. Um, I think I also wanted to ask you to describe this. You talk about this in the book, and I highly suggest that everybody go get your book. Uh, I swear I'll make it up to you, and also all the Kindle singles, because I listen to them all, and they're all great. Thank you. Um, but Narcissus, this is a great, <laughs> I love this, 
this 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 creation that you've come up with yeah because it rings very true yeah so the <clears throat> um so sisyphus is the you know the guy who's sort of like rolling the rock up the hill and then uh, almost gets it to the top of the hill and then it like falls back down and you know narcissus is the you know character entranced by his own reflection because he's so beautiful and so narcissus was just a character i came up with or an idea or, or a way of understanding myself of somebody who's you know myopically obsessed with uh their own failures again and again and again you know and in you know unable to look away and um and in love with it mm -hmm. and uh and that's still a part of me to you know to this day um the uh you know of just like you know waking up exhausted going to make the coffee and like you pour the coffee in the wrong thing and then god i make coffee every how long have i been doing this that mm -hmm. i don't know how you know and it's like you haven't had your coffee yet like relax you know yeah. um and so I, I you know i still i wasn't able to coin that phrase because i've gotten past it i was able to coin that phrase because i haven't fair enough <laughs> you know and uh i still see that you know in myself of like um you know, or, you know, to spill a cup of coffee, you know, I say, God damn it, like you always spill the coffee. Well, no, <laughs> I spill one out of every 100 cups, you mm -hmm. know, which is still higher than I'd like it to be. But I usually don't spill the coffee, you know. It's just a question of how you frame it. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that, you know, that character stays with me and, and will stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, and like... We, we not not to glorify our, our mistakes they're really they are usually minimal yeah but you know but also one of the things that i've been working hard towards is with the live show to to go into that darkness and bitterness or regret and and anger and sadness um and um not to let it derail me but also not to alienate myself from that part of my life and, you know, those people who I've been and the stuff that I've done and the mistakes that I've made, you know, which is, you know, the old Walt Whitman line about, you know, I'm large, I contain multitudes. You know, we all have a number of different people um, inside of us. And i working to get to a point where we're sort of like all sitting at the table together. And, you know, I, I can be like, okay, Narcissus, keep your mouth shut just just sit here quietly eat your food mm -hmm. i don't need to hear from you right yeah. now you know so it's just trying to get everybody to behave you mm -hmm. know and um i don't know i i'm glad that i have those dark passengers with me because it's given me so much more empathy for other people who are struggling there but for the grace of God go I kind of thing when you, yeah. you hear people say things and you're for, like God, oh wait that's something I would have done or said yeah for me it's there there but for the grace of mom go I <laughs> <laughs> nice nice um a couple things and I know you have to go very soon here but um also in your book there's a couple more moments uh that I that really resonated with me was um you talk about I think it's in the afterwards of the long run and other stories and you talk about um you say all those banal cross-stitch sentiments 
they're all true. And <laughs> yeah. and I, again, this is again these these were moments where I was out just on the street running and and walking and and it was just like wow. And there was this level of like the sense of hope, like okay, I'm 230 pounds. I used to be 270, and that was only like six or seven months ago, you know. And I was just like, so I started running, and I've been having problems with my heel. So I started running faster, and I was in my head. I was thinking. I want to run more than I want my heel to hurt. I want to, you know, I want to write more than I want a 10 bar, which is yeah. what I do now. And, you know, it was just this big sort of moment for me. And I was like, this is really awesome. And I look at this person who has done something for themselves. I don't feel envious of the things you have. I'm like excited and for the idea of hope and, and possibility. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really it was really great. It was a great moment in your writing that I... Yeah, I mean, I'm cynical about a lot of stuff, but I'm not a nihilist. You know, and I... I there is no place like home. There, that's literally true. You know, and it's... You know, there's a great line by the reporter Lawrence Weschler, or, or actually, I think it's a quote from Robert Irwin um, when Weschler was interviewing him, and he says, um, seeing is forgetting the name of the object one sees. You know, the, the microphone here, if I, if I say, oh, it's a microphone, it's like, oh, it's, but if I explain to you all the different parts that are in there and what it does and how it functions, it seems fucking magical. Yeah. You know, so it's one thing to say, there's no place like home, you know, it's, and <clears throat> something we've heard a million times and it, it's been stripped of all meaning. But if, but if you go into it, slow down, unpack it all, you know, like what, uh, what you just said about, you know, being down to 230 from 270, that's massive. Yeah. If, you, if you take the context away, you know, then we don't see the, that the arrow is going in the positive direction, right? right. Um, the, uh, and also that you 10 bar. That's, that's an awesome admission, right? So you're like me, right? You have... You have uh, sort of like warring factions in your life, right? Constantly, there's you know, a huge dichotomy. Sobriety has been a huge gift to you, and um, and you probably believe, as I do, that people are better, largely better off if they're not drinking, and you work <laughs> providing them, you know, with those drinks. I, you know, the the bar last night. My role there is to get is to sell drinks. Yeah. You know, um, so it's important to remember that. Uh, hypocrisy is sort of stitched into the human condition, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we can't excoriate ourselves for that. You just have to say, well, it's, it's a nightly reminder of why I do what I do. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And also those people there, you know, that's their choice. They have that personal freedom, mm -hmm. you know, having not come through a 12 step program, I didn't have an investment in the group or, um, any kind of fellowship or humanity writ large. For me, it was just me, myself. It was all about personal responsibility. And that's affected my experience as a sober human where I'm not, um, I'm not super concerned with um, uh, interfering in other people's lives. If somebody wants to get sober, awesome. Go do it. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm, absolutely here to hug you to high five you to support you when you get sober but i 
can't hold your hand throughout that process just because yeah. there's too many people. And, and also, if you need help getting sober, perhaps don't reach out to the guy who never asked for help when he was getting sober because I will not be as sympathetic as someone else. Well, I just locked myself in my room, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, I hear that. There's plenty of people who want to help and, and who can help. And so, I mean, it's definitely not something you have to do alone, but I appreciate that, that you did, you know. That's another thing I want to point out, like, real quick here at the end, too, is just that we live in this world where it's, you know, everything has to be, um, there has to be this sort of cloak of altruism, of like, oh, I'm going to walk across America to raise money for... You can just walk across America because it's something that you always wanted to do. And, and that it's just a personal trip that you wanted to take. You wanted to have that adventure. It doesn't, not everything needs to be a fundraiser for some charity that's only going to use 20% of the money and like another 3% goes to PayPal or whatever credit card. You know, the, um, you want to save the world, start with yourself. Save yourself and then you can save other people. I um I I sort of get get let you know I get grief about this sometimes, you know, that um I'm not super uh I've always been sort of a lone operator. Um but I've been very honest that, you know, in my books and in my writing that when I got sober it was just for me. I was just trying to save my own ass. I wasn't trying to help other people. And that's a great reason to get sober. <laughs> just yeah. out of selfishness and survival, right? Absolutely. And then to be able to write about that honestly and in detail, it, res it resonated with a whole other group of people who have been um, alienated from sobriety because they don't want to turn into some lifetime movie, glowing, super positive sobriety recovery you know, story. I, um, you know, I can be kind of an abrasive prick and like, I didn't want that to change when I got sober. I didn't <laughs> want to be a different, you know, a di different person. I just wanted to not be out of control all the time. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I value some of my anger and some of my resentment, you know, and fortunately, I've been able to keep it. You know, I found a way of getting better where I am better and I'm, I'm happier and healthier and, and far more productive. Um, but I didn't have to uh, entirely tear down and reinvent, you know, who I am as a person. Awesome. I, you know, thank you. And I appreciate you talking with me. Absolutely. And up man. with me and, and for the shows that you do and or that you did last night and for the shows you're going to do. And, um, you know, one of my new favorite quotes is from your book, and it's simply, the race ain't over. Yeah, man. The race ain't over. It's never over. It's <laughs> never over. Nishka, thank you very much. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>